But there's some strategies I have around not only what I said, but also how to increase your review rate. The average guests on Airbnb, about 70%, 72% give actual reviews, but 100% of guests who had a negative experience leave a review. So that extra 28%, those are positive reviews that aren't leaving a review. So it's important to get as many of those as you possibly can so that when you get a negative review, it has less of an effect. Everybody wanna get the bag, but y'all really know what it's gonna take. Trying to figure out how to start now. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Uh. Let's go. Another episode of Blue Gems Podcast with Mr. Daniel Rustine. Man, what an absolute pleasure to have you. You used to work for Airbnb. You live in the Airbnbs now. You live in Colombia. You're doing some special things, man. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? and uh, what you're up to now. Yeah, for sure. I'm super excited to be on and I hope I can drop uh, as much value, if not more than your, than your prior guests uh, that you've had on your podcast. I am a little bit different in that you mentioned it, but I, one of the things that separates me a little bit is, is I am a guest. I'm a guest in Airbnbs more than 2,000 nights since 2017. So I have that kind of unique perspective. But outside of that, I'm, I'm all in on short-term rentals. And I actually try and get away from using the word Airbnb. I'm all about Airbnb. I used to work there, but I need to switch it to short-term rentals because when I feel like people talk about Airbnb, it's like a one-stop shop. Okay, Airbnb, You know, let's use Airbnb's pricing. We don't need to create an offline presence, this and that. And Airbnb has done really good marketing there. But short-term rentals, 2023, it's more about running your rental like a business rather than relying 100% on Airbnb. Love that. And so give us some examples of what you mean by running it like a business. Let's say five years ago, 10 years ago, if, if there's people who've gotten in this for a long time, or even if they haven't, how it was in, let's say, 2015, people would rent the space that they already had pretty much. I've got an extra bedroom. I got a vacation rental. My parents are going out of town. My friend's going out of town. Some people, rental arbitrage was big as well. It still is, but it was people were doing that kind of under the radar. So there would be people that would rent out extra houses and put it as a rental arbitrage before the landlords knew what they were doing. And everything would be kind of self-enclosed in Airbnb. Airbnb would maintain control over that whole relationship. Airbnb would say, you know, message the guest in the platform, use our insurance, use our smart pricing tool. And they did a genius marketing job at that specifically. One-stop shop, short-term rental, Airbnb. I don't need anything else. I can do everything within Airbnb. Fast forward to 2023 and... It's now big business. People are going out specifically to buy short-term rentals as investments. Builders all over the world, currently in Colombia. And sometimes when I have time, I like to go out and just take a look at the new construction projects. The last time I did that was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And there's projects being built for Airbnb, not just in the US, all over the world. Because this is a more legitimate business, you have to create yourself a presence online. You have to start running it more like a business. You have to start collecting your guest data, for example. Because look, when you go to sell your your space in five years time, whatever, there is real world value to having a list of a thousand prior guests at your house, contact information, or you know, a website that gets 10,000 views or an Instagram 
Instagram account with 5,000 subscribers. There's real world value to that information. So tell us a little bit about your consulting business, Optimize My BNB. How does that all work? Optimize My BNB. I help short-term rental hosts all over the world make more money. And I do that in a variety of ways. But namely, I specialize in the online and the offline aspect. The online aspect, how do you rank number one in Airbnb? Airbnb is the market dominator right now. So I focus on that search. How do I rank number one? And then how do I give the guests a good experience so that I get uh, five-star reviews, which helps me rank number one? On Airbnb, it's all about ranking number one. That's kind of one of the reasons why you want to start building your presence off the platform as well. They got a stronghold on on your operation because you know they know and they've developed the platform like this. If you don't get a five-star review, it's a fail. Four-star review is not good. It's terrible. I help Airbnb hosts just be the best they can on the platform and build their presence offline. But it all goes back to ranking high on Airbnb, whether that's getting good reviews that filters into you ranking high on Airbnb. But there's some strategies I have around not only what I said, but also how to increase your review rate. The average guest on Airbnb, about 70%, 72% make give actual reviews. But 100% of guests who had a negative experience leave a review. So that extra 28%, those are positive reviews that aren't leaving a review. So it's important to get as many of those as you possibly can. So that when you get a negative review, it has less of an effect on your search rank and that number that they show the guests. And Airbnb keeps track of that. They keep track of your review rate. That's a positive signal to the search algorithm. Hey, this listing has 85% review rate. This listing has 50%. Well, you can't leave us hanging. How do you uh, get that review rate higher? Oh, the review rate higher. There's a few ways to do it. But the main thing that you do is through messages. Here's a big tip. A lot of the times, and I'm speaking as a guest now, I check out. And sometimes the the stay went flawlessly. You know, I know I'm going to get a five-star review. The host knows they're going to get a five-star review. But that's not always the case. So what if I'm in a place and, you know, I broke the, uh, the, the blender here or something other, you know, I complained of the hot water, something like that. Well, now I check out and I'm like, well, you know, the state was fine. But is the host going to give me a bad review? Because if they're going to give me a bad review, I want to give them a bad review. So upon checkout, reach out to the guest and say, hey, you were great. I'm going to give you a five-star review. So it's like uh, there's the psychology principle, uh, reciprocity, I think. Hey, I'm giving you a five-star review. Just so you know, we're good. I'm giving you a five-star review. I hope you come back. And then on top of that, I like to offer... So I don't ask for a review reminder. I don't reach out and just say, hey, leave me a review. I try and offer something. So the next message I'll send a few days afterwards is a friends and family discount. I'll say, hey, you were great. If you come back, you have any friends, any family, anyone you know, have them mention your name and I give them, it depends on your listing. I say $200 off your reservation. And so that acts as a review reminder as well. Would that be a booking on Airbnb only or would they have the opportunity to book direct and save some money on the fees? That's a whole separate strategy. Though the message is is just basically a review reminder. I mean, that's that's really the point of it. But how you get people to book offline, there are some strategies in how you can go about collecting data when the guest gets to your place, whether that's through a PMS provider, whether that's through a, there's some new Wi-Fi providers. You know, when you go to a cafe and they have you put in your email. Yep. You can do that in your in your Airbnb now and get data. It works especially well because if you have a house that allows visitors, those visitors are probably locals. So now you have a bunch of data for your guests and their visitors who are locals. You can start 
start uh, building up your list that way. And that's one way you can um, you can let them know that you could book offline. I personally have business cards, so I give them I give them a oh here, here's another a tip. A lot of people host to welcome baskets. Hey, they, the guest arrives, bottle of wine, baked goods, whatever it is. That's okay, but I give a departing goodie bag because if you give a, a welcome gift. All of that goodwill has dissipated by the time they check out a few days, a week later, when they're about to leave their review. Smart. So I give a goodie bag, a departing goodie bag. I rent for a high rate, so I have a I have a larger budget. I give a full bag of Colombian chocolate. I don't know if I said that, but my rental is in Colombia, but I all my guests, vast majority are Americans. I give a full bag of Colombian coffee and a bar of Colombian chocolate. I put my sticker on there. I have a bag that has my logo. I have my logo a few times. My my uh, network name is Belmonte Penthouse. And then I have a little card. So to get direct bookings, you want to make the guests aware that you actually have a presence offline. And why? Why do they want to book offline? I just had a booking offline. They saved $600 in fees. Plus, I offer um, airport transit, free airport transit, and some other things like you know, drinks in the fridge, whatever it is that you want to offer. And then what tools or softwares are you using to help manage some of these tips? In 2023, there are so many tools that you can use, but there are some of the ones that stand out. So I mentioned earlier, you know, in 2023, we need to start managing our rental more like a business. Part of that is using a dynamic pricing tool. The rental that I bought, I quadrupled the revenue that the prior management was doing. And I know that because they gave me access to the account. Quadrupled the revenue in the first year. And a lot of that was due to pricing. They were getting 500 bucks a night. On my highest nights, I got 1100 bucks, but I also rented out for 350 bucks. Pricing is kind of the single biggest thing that you can do. Don't use the pricing developed in the platform, whether that's Airbnb, VRBO, because their motivation isn't to get you the highest price. Their motivation is to get you high occupancy and thus the guest at a lower price. And thus the guest gets a good deal as well. It's like I think of it back to like real estate agents, just like people think that Airbnb is aligned with them. Airbnb came out with this smart pricing tool. Airbnb must know what my listing is worth, right? And our interests are aligned. They want to make more money. I want to make more money. But that's not really the case. Similarly to when you're investing, real estate agents, people think, okay, a real estate agent wants to sell my home for the highest price so they get the highest commission. Similar with property managers as well. But in a real estate agent's mind, they don't actually care if they get you an extra $100,000 in revenue. They're more worried about selling more just like Airbnb. They're worried about selling more heads at beds. So that's one of the things we will do to start managing our rental like a business is that dynamic pricing tool. I use Price Labs. I use and recommend them. I think they're the best out there. Do you guys use dynamic pricing? Of course. Have you got to say yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty sure you're going to say yes. Which, which tool do you use? Yeah, we use Price Labs as well. Oh, sweet. Highly recommend. It's our favorite as well. Yeah, there's a little learning curve, but... They go in there and they, and they realize like they have to learn pricing, which is a different skill. And they're like, yeah, this is hard. I don't get it. I find it strange because it's like, it's a new skill. Whatever skill that you've learned, whether it's riding a bike, driving a car, like you had to learn all the skills that you know now. But with pricing, there's some kind of a disconnect. Like, oh, uh, you know, it's hard to learn. A lot of people give up. They, they sign up a month later, two months later, they give up. I think it's a good opportunity for me to plug my new book, which is... One of those sections, I've been writing a new book for the past few months, and I have a pricing section in there where I break down because I do consultation calls. 
And at least 50%, but it seems like 80% of the, the hosts who talk to me, they want to chat about pricing. It's not clear for them. Why that is, I'm not sure. Maybe the tool is confusing. Maybe there's not enough information out there. I developed a strategy to help hosts with pricing. And it's it's a two-level strategy where you just you start with the basics. You two will know what I'm talking about. You start with just minimum price, base price. Just play around with that for a month. And then when you notice booking patterns, which is weekends are booking up more than weekdays, you're getting far out bookings, whatever it may be, that's when customizations come into play. So one, I think it's uh, section five. I have laid out my strategy on how you go about managing pricing in kind of the easiest, most efficient way possible. Because I just want to emphasize, it's really important to your revenue. It's, it's, it, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but it has the potential to earn you the most money of anything that you can do. I guess anything that you can do except finding the right deal. That's also very important, which is a totally different topic. And what'd you say the name of your book was? Well, I don't officially have a name yet because I just I just finished it last Friday. So it's with the editor now. And usually this is my fourth book. Usually the title hits me when I'm writing the book. The title hasn't come to me. So <laughs> I'm still thinking about it, but I have an idea I want to share it with you. And and I'm looking at you to get your first reactions. Before I share it though, I want you to promise me you will tell me what you think, honestly. You got it. hundred percent. Okay. Title I'm thinking of is so there's a title and a subtitle. It's just the title. Airbnb Beyond. I think it's catchy and corny at the same time. Okay. But that usually sells. So it could be a smart play. I think the Airbnb and whatever, you know, add Airbnb to whatever word has just cut, you know, it's, it's been overplayed at this point in time. Gotcha. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I'd want to focus more on short-term rental than Airbnb because I think we're over-promoting Airbnb and that OTA as a whole. Because if we think about the the industry, it's really a short-term rental, right? We're talking about making it focused on a business. So every time we pitch Airbnb, we're kind of taking away from our own actual personal business that we're running. Yeah, well, Just that's my opinion, though. No, your opinion is exactly what I think. That That's kind of what I said earlier. You need to start rent- managing your rental like a business. I'm thinking of it, though, as like a, a, like a keyword. I still want Airbnb in the title or subtitle for that keyword, Amazon, you know, Airbnb rental, make money on Airbnb, that kind of a thing. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, you'll probably sell the most books with a, a, a title like that, right? Because I would imagine most of your demographic is just getting out, just getting started, right? Or maybe still in the beginning stages. And they're not going to know that difference between short-term rentals and Airbnb. They just quantify it as Airbnb. Do you think in 2023, people are coming in like Airbnb is not the first word that comes into mind. It's like short-term rental, investing, stuff like that. I still think it's going to be Airbnb. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's like Q-tip or Kleenex. Yeah. Yeah, I know from from, uh, friends and family who you know ask me about what I'm, what I'm doing because I'm doing you know Airbnb short-term rentals full-time now and and they still always call it an Airbnb. If you're not in the industry, I feel like they default to Airbnb. So your target demographic is probably going to be people that don't have short-term rentals yet and so you're better off marketing it as Airbnb. I just would prefer and we're trying to do the same thing as well in our podcast branding and our Blue Gems branding is to move away from Airbnb and more towards short-term rental. But it's yeah. challenging. It really is challenging. But yeah, like if you talk to demographic of people that that don't know anything about this industry at all and you use the word short-term rental, they may not even know what you're talking about. You know, so when you're marketing, it could be a detriment to that marketing advantage that you have, you know. So you you almost because Airbnb has done such a good job at marketing, you almost have to use their brand. 
What's the difference between short-term rental and vacation rental? I think that depends on the avatar. I always view it as who is staying in that property. So to me, a short-term rental is just any rental for a period of less than 28 days. But a vacation rental, to me, is someone staying for a week at a time in a property where they've planned it out very far in advance. They've bought plane tickets, they've you know called the family, and they've said, hey, next July, we're going to Disney World. To me, that's a vacation rental, whereas a short-term rental might be someone going downtown you know, just for a business meeting and they've booked it, you know, one week in advance. I think the lead time comes comes into play. They're both transient stays or transient spaces. But to Aiden's point, you can visit a short-term rental for a plethora of reasons, but you're only going to a vacation rental just to vacation. That's how I differentiate the two. Got it. Makes sense. And there's you you mentioned at the beginning you're you're doing MTRs, medium term rentals. I think of that traditionally as monthly but in the short-term rental space as a week or two. Yeah, 30 days or more is how, how we understand it to be or how we, we market the specific properties, the two properties that we do have. And, and it's interesting that we ended up with these two midterm rentals because if the regulations allowed us to do short-term rentals, we would rather do that, right? It would, it would make more sense financially. But because of the regulations were restrictive against STR or short-term rentals, we had to go the MTR route and it still made sense. It was still maybe 2x more than we would get for long-term rentals. So it still made a lot of sense. I rent monthly as a guest. So I was just on a, um, a different event, MTR versus STR. And I learned all about the MTR. I, I stay as a guest MTR, but I, I rent as, a, as an STR, as a host, as, a, as, a, as an owner, because it's more profitable. That's just an interesting uh, perspective that I that I didn't even realize I had as a, as a medium term guest for the past seven years. You have a very unique perspective, having been a midterm rental guest for a long time. What are some things that you look for as a guest when you're staying at a property, regardless of the location? All right, the annoyances to a short term guest become issues for medium-term or long-term guests. So like, I realized this when I was in Bali. I was in Bali over the pandemic with my best friend. We stayed in an Airbnb. And I realized, wait, this Airbnb was super highly rated, like 4.95, dozens and dozens of reviews. But I got there and it didn't have a great experience. And the reason why was because all of these small things that you would just kind of ignore as a short-term rental guest became issues for me staying there for a month. One of them specific to Bali was all of the doors had a little crack in it. And so at night, the mosquitoes got in and Bali's hot. So I have, you know, imagine trying to relax at night, watch TV, and you're getting stung by mosquitoes. You got to wear a sweater. A day or two, I can forget about it. I'm probably not even watching TV at night. I'm probably going out to dinner or, or party. But staying there for a month, now that's kind of an issue. So I look at that, that though I could only find when I was there, but I realized I wish Airbnb and the, the, the platforms would highlight, hey, this is a this is a review from a medium-term guest, a long-term guest, because they're they want different things. As a medium-term guest, one month, I want a desk. It can be a dining table, but ideally not. And on top of that, I want a comfortable chair, ideally an office chair. I want a full kitchen and I want kitchen amenities, full kitchen amenities. There are some things that are easy. I, ha- I have a, an oven here. And when I got in, I think I was the first guest here. I reached out to the host and I was like, hey, the oven is awesome, but there's nothing to use in it. The host was nice and brought like things to you. You know, There wasn't anything to open the oven or any oven safe dishes. 
Um, but even things like you know cutting boards, can openers, sharp knives, cheese graters, strainers, these are all common things that are missing from Airbnbs. And so if you're renting to short-term guests, three, four, five days, they may not cook, not a big deal. And if they are cooking, uh, well, it's not a big deal. But medium-term guests, this becomes more of an issue. I think the sleeping experience is always important. But in a, for a medium-term guest, it becomes more of an important. And, and the difference is because if you're just there for a few days, you're more likely to um, go out, experience the food scene, maybe party. But if you're here for a month, you're less likely to do that. You're sleeping more at you know, 10, 11 p.m. I'm in one now and there is they hosted a good job. They're next to a rather busy street. And for some reason, they didn't install you know better windows. So you can hear the outside. It's not terrible. But the host told me up front, they said, hey, I want you to know it's a busy street. So there's some noise. And so that's another thing is setting expectations. I can't get upset because I, I looked at the price. I looked at how it looked. The host told me there's, there's street noise. Okay. I don't know what that means, but I took my chances. It's not terrible. But the point is setting ex- the host set my expectations, thus avoiding any kind of potential um, refund or negative review because, oh, I, I didn't know I'm next to a you know super busy road. That's like kind of a big deal. I'm working here for 30 days. I love the point about the reviews. Right, because that is a feature that you know I've I've heard in behind the scenes that Airbnb was working on, but I haven't yet seen it come to fruition to where we can tell how long the guest stayed and maybe even what was the purpose of the trip, right? Because now we're getting even more detail about what they would expect for that property, right? Because like we said earlier, a vacation rental guest, a short-term rental guest, these are two different avatars looking for two different properties and maybe even different amenities. Yeah, I saw at one point some reviews that labeled it a long-term reservation. That went away. And also, I didn't know what a long term was. Is that just a week or two weeks, or is that a month or a few months? And there's so many options on Airbnb that they need to add these things in because they want to pair the guests with the right. I think it's I think it's on purpose that they don't, but they want to pair the guests with the right listing. And oftentimes I'm searching on Airbnb and I'm narrowing down the map and there's still a hundred listings, even if there's 50 listings to go through, but I don't have any other filters to use because I'm not going to use a lot of the filters because hosts don't use those filters as well. But if it's something automatic, hey, they left a review. We know how long that was for. I just want to see reviews for long-term stays, medium-term stays. I think that would be beneficial. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. I wanted to ask you a personal question about your travels, right? So you're living in these Airbnbs or these short-term rentals, and I'm starting to see more and more people choose this lifestyle of, of not owning anything or not even renting a traditional apartment. They're just choosing to live in and out of these short-term rentals. How has your lifestyle been? Do you miss having a constant stay or are you really enjoying uh, this transient use and, and flexibility? 2000s. I'm leaving my long-term rental. I've been there for a few years. What happens when you're a long-term renter, a yearly contracts, traditional? What happens when you move out? You have to fix things. So I had to spend money and time coordinating, you know, a contractor to come. I lost some of my security deposit. I have someone, I have a friend moving out of their place here in Columbia. And, and it just reminded me, oh yeah, I have to fix the door and this and that, which is crazy because 
as a short-term rental, I don't have to do any of that stuff. And not only do I not have to do any of that stuff, I no longer have a cable bill. I no longer have a gas bill, garbage bill, water bill. All of these are included. It does cost more money, but if you're, especially if you're living outside the U.S. or if you're, you know, if you're living in different states or neighborhoods in the U.S. that are that, that are not as expensive, I think it's a life hack. I go in, I have a brand new house, productive. Everything needs to be working because the host, you know, that that review is on the line. And if it's not working, they come and fix it. If you're in a long-term rental, maybe it's fixed, maybe it's not. And then at the end of 30 days, go to the next one. If you don't like where you're at, you can easily get out of it. There's no contract. Uh, it makes me more productive, I think, having less things to worry about. I change monthly. I change monthly whether I'm staying in the same city or not. I like to change at least my, my neighborhood. And what are some of the things that are challenging? You know, because I'm sure it's not a, as, you know, rainbows and butterflies as it may seem. There's some, some, you know, things that you have to consider, some things that you have to sacrifice on. Obviously, costs, you said, is a little bit more expensive. But what are some things that um, are going unnoticed? The unknowable things, it's kind of a roll of the dice. So I went to one in El Salvador. And none of the listings looked particularly well. I chose the one I thought to be the best. And I get in there and it was one of my worst days because the house was on the bottom level and the way it was laid out, the other neighbors, if I had any wind, the windows were like kind of up high. And, and so any neighbors, if I opened any windows could see in the way the buildings were laid out or the sun rose and set, it was very, it felt damp and dark in this place. The, the chairs weren't comfortable. So, you know, obviously I wasn't that productive. It also depends on your neighborhood. If I go to a new city or a new neighborhood and I'm not near a shopping mall or a gym or a, or a supermarket, I might have to call an Uber and that is an extra 15 or 30 minutes each way. And I don't really know that until I get there. Yeah, no, that's interesting. We've actually had a couple of, of our MTR guests ask us to visit the property prior to them booking like a 90-day stay or 75-day you know, stay. Is that something that you've ever exercised you know, before? Especially since you're in Colombia and you're staying in the same city, you know, this could be a pretty advantageous route for you. I don't know if I do. I don't do that anymore. If I did, some I used to ask what are the cross streets because I, specifically for here because I'm very familiar with the neighborhoods and there's one cross street, you know, two streets parallel. One street is like a 30 degree angle and the other one isn't. So if you're familiar with it that way, I, I would I would figure that out. I've had as a host some people ask me to meet in person. Sometimes I do it, but I usually don't because I find that it's there. There's a lot of back and forth, and um, I don't want to get in trouble by the platform. And oftentimes. I find these people aren't serious about booking. They just want to negotiate a discount offline. And so it's like, all right, I wasted my time. I met you and you want 50% off the discount. You, you know, that, that's not the right. commission rate that I pay Airbnb. So it doesn't make sense. So I, I so for that reason, I, I stopped doing it. But it could make sense. It makes more sense the longer. 90 days, you know, if I'm doing it 30 days, I got to coordinate 12 of these every year. That's a little much. But if I'm renting 90 days or something and you don't like the space, there is a difference in you being there and how you feel in the space. So that could make that could make sense. Yeah. Do you, how do you deal with those requests? We quote unquote say it's a liability issue and, and just rather not. Most of the time, though, to, to be honest, we have a guest there staying already. So, you know, we have to decline it. We say it's a liability issue because, you know, we have no idea what their actual intentions are. We don't know this person. Of course, they're they're booking on an OTA. But outside of that, we haven't done any real due diligence on this person. So visiting the property and giving them the address prior to them actually booking is some 
liability component there for sure. Yeah, and and let's highlight that because that's the big risk on on Airbnb is if people start realizing it's a short term rental. If someone uh, someone a local person, your cleaners are actually a big risk as well. If the, if you fire them and they're disgruntled, once your location, your address gets figured out as a short term rental, that's all bad because now it's a target for 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 theft and whatnot. So that's a good way to handle it. I usually say, what is it? What are you trying to verify about the property? Let's see if we can, let's see if I can answer it here. That takes care of some of them as well. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Assume that I'm a brand new short-term rental investor listening to this podcast. I just learned about the industry. Okay. What would be your best piece of advice for me just starting out? There's two things I'll say. There's one is it's not passive income. Even though it can be pretty automated, don't come into this industry thinking it's passive income. You will fail. You'll lose money. You need to run it instead like a business. And what that means is you need to start thinking strategically as a business person, as an entrepreneur. Okay, so don't think it's passive income. It's it's, it's not, at least not at the beginning. The second thing is probably the most important thing or the first is the first step in 2023. And that is the ability to identify a good deal in a good market. Back in 2015, referencing my example earlier, you could put in a listing up on Airbnb and make money basically guaranteed. In 2023, you have to be very conscious about what market are you investing in, why, where are all these guests coming from, and identifying a micro neighborhood. I call it not even just a neighborhood, but a micro neighborhood. There could, you know, the southeast corner of this neighborhood could be the most profitable Airbnbs. That could be for any variety of reason. You know, there could be a freeway cutting down the road, whatever it is. But there's micro neighborhoods that do well, and so you need to be good at being able to analyze properties. I prefer to get to know the market myself. Go to the market, visit the market. What's big nowadays though is people don't have the time to do that. And so they hire a short-term rental real estate agent and and they rely on them, which is okay. I know a lot of people who've been successful doing that. But it's such a big decision for me, especially as a first-time investor. I definitely prefer getting to know the market. Amazing. And then you know you mentioned a lot has changed since 2015, right? In the short-term rental industry with Airbnbs. Where do you see the market headed into 2024? If you had a crystal ball. Yeah, 2024 and beyond. We've alluded to it a little bit here, but I think that Airbnb has created the market. The market has been created. It's now a lot of markets are saturated. And on top of that, a lot of guests and hosts are disgruntled. Airbnb has has pissed, has managed to piss off not only hosts, which they've done for a long time, but now even guests. Uh, there's you know the the most recent viral videos are like guests having to do a bunch of checkout chores, you know, when they leave and pay that fee, the which is terrible. <laughs> yeah, which is terrible, by the way, for for a variety of reasons. But you know, the checkout day is already stressful, so don't don't have your guests do a bunch of stuff that they're probably not going to do anyways. Make it seamless. Where that is going is. I believe guests are interested in booking direct more so. So creating a presence online, the difference comes down to, let's say worst case scenario, Airbnb banned your account. How much would that affect your life? If it wouldn't affect your life, if it's just bonus money, beer money, you know, utility money, whatever, then you know you, you probably shouldn't spend a lot of time getting a presence online because it doesn't make sense. But if you're running an actual business and a lot of hosts who go into this end up getting more properties because it's 
it's, you guys know, it's really good money. Hotels had a dream industry for a very long time. It's really, really good money. So I think that getting your, getting a presence online for direct bookings, getting that contact information of your clients, of your guests is very important. Whether that's setting up a website and, and you know, going, going the full nine yards, getting a brandable name, or just setting up an Instagram, somehow creating an online presence is going to be important for a lot of guests. And let me tell you, there is demand there. On the guest side, there is demand there. There's more demand on the host side. There's more, there's more hosts who are going direct bookings, getting platforms. There needs to be more guest demand. But I think uh, because there's so much host interest in creating a website offline, I think that once a platform comes out, Google is starting it with vacation rentals. Once there's a more seamless way to find direct bookings online, I think that side of things, everything goes in cycles. Back in 2000, in the 90s, I I talked to some dude who was in vacation rentals as early as the 80s. So this has always been around. Back then, it was kind kind of more direct booking. And then Airbnb, VRBO consolidated it. The cycle is reset. Direct bookings are going to get a more popular in the future. That's my that's my prediction. Airbnb is not going away, to be very clear. But there's a lot of benefits to Airbnb and a lot of guests are just comfortable booking on Airbnb. But as the processes get built out, that will be a thing to keep your eye on. In the yeah, I've always wondered about an OTA that consolidates direct bookings. But then my fear would be they're just going to turn into the next Airbnb. <laughs> they're going to start charging their own fees, additional add-ons. So it kind of defeats the whole purpose. But you know, I think a, a consolidation of direct booking sites would make a lot of sense to me, similar to uh, how Kayak and, and other sites do for, for car rentals. Well, Google doesn't charge... Uh, airlines to be listed on on Google Flights. So how do they make money instead? They get data. Mm. So th- th- there there's other ways to charge for this. I think that you know there's a there is a startup or an early company. They're targeting Airbnb guests, and what they're doing is, hey, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll send you deals. So you have an eye. Here are the Airbnb listings with the biggest discount right now. It's a very rudimentary product, but I can see how this would be like. What about as a host? I can pay you to get myself listed on your on your site. You have a bunch of guests who want to book direct, or you have a bunch of guests who may or may not want to book direct. They don't know, but you have a bunch of information of guests who are trying to get deals. That person can leverage it by you know accepting advertisements. I just want to clarify: there's a lot of talk about like saving commission rate for going direct bookings. What's the big? What's the benefit of going direct bookings? Saving the commission rate. That's okay, but it's not really the reason why I do it because everything costs money. It's not like you're even saving the commission rate. You have to pay for the website, for example. For me, it's getting a more legitimate business. If I'm just relying 100% on Airbnb, that's not really a legitimate business. And that's that gives me a lot of risk if I'm just 100% on Airbnb. So creating an online presence for me is making my business more legitimizing my business. Yeah, I would also add the component you brought up about the reviews, right? Because Airbnb essentially uses that as leverage to uh, to the guests when when they're essentially forcing us to get five star reviews to be ranked higher. If you go direct, you remove that whole component, right? So you're taking the leverage away from Airbnb and basically just making it between you and the guest. When you have a middleman, there's always additional considerations to be had. Because I agree with the point that 
direct bookings, you're not really saving that much money by the time you add in software fees and credit card fees and any legal documents that you got to pay for. To me, it's more about taking away the leverage from Airbnb, collecting the data and becoming a true legitimate marketing company. Yeah, there's something to be said about that when you're on Airbnb and guests know it, you know, there's a, there's an issue on a Saturday night or a Sunday night, you feel like you got to get that resolved like right away. It doesn't matter if it's a Saturday or Sunday, but there's a point where it's like too much. Right. You know, and I think that's too much. And so depending on the issue, of course. And so doing direct bookings, as I have done, I'm getting about 50% direct bookings nowadays. It does relieve the pressure. Now, don't take that to be a slumlord and you know, right. don't have a problem. <laughs> sure. But it, it does relieve the, the stress a little bit. Okay, it's a direct booking. Yeah, my Google review is at risk, but there's less pressure on you to get things done. Okay, they're going to ask for a refund. Airbnb is probably going to give them a refund. They might give me a bad review. That's a huge advantage of you know, getting a building of online presence as well outside of the OTAs. For sure. You know, and and uh, Daniel, if you could leave one last gem it could be about business. It could be about Airbnb. It could be about short-term rentals. It could be about life in general. What would you want to leave the listeners? Let me keep it on the short-term rental space. And I want, I'm speaking to new hosts or people who are going for their next property. I break down markets. Again, in 2023, the biggest thing is identifying profitable markets and properties in those markets. I break them down. Discovered and undiscovered markets. Discovered markets are things that are very popular. They're on the top 10 lists. There's a lot of guest arrivals. There's also a lot of competition. And because they're so popular, they're going to have an influx of people who are kind of lazy and don't want to do their research. Undiscovered markets have much less competition and much less guest arrivals, but you have to compare those two metrics in each market because there could be some arbitrage you can do. All right, I have less, there's less guest arrivals, but there's even less competition and there could be just as much profit potential. So I prefer going to undiscovered markets. San Francisco, for example, that's a discovered market. People are, you know, why people are coming. They're coming to do tourism, to look at the Golden Gate Bridge, to go to Alcatraz, to go to wine country. Undiscovered markets are markets that have a draw, a consistent draw of guests, but it's not that well known. You would only know about it if, if you're in the specific industry. Obvious ones are hospitals. If there's a hospital that specializes on some kind of care, that's a year round influx of guests. Universities is, is a big one. Adventure sports is a big one. National parks is a big one. Because it's so important, that's going to be the first main section of my new book, which will come out sometime middle middle of end, end of March. That's the first section I have dedicated to how to identify profitable markets. And on top of that, once you identify a profitable market, how to find the micro neighborhood that's most profitable and how to analyze or run the numbers to ensure that you're making a good decision there. Love that. And then uh, where can people find you? The brand is Optimize My Airbnb. You can type that in on Google and my Instagram will come up. My YouTube, I have an existing book. It's it's the bestseller, four years running now for Airbnb hosts. And it's called Optimize Your BNB. You can find that on, on any major, major uh, you know, online platform, Amazon being the big one. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you so much, man. What an episode. Really appreciate your time and all your wisdom. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on again. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. 
See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.